Hi, this is Megan McHugh, and this is the podcast of Triple R Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy, and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website. G'day, welcome aboard the Starship Zero G, science fiction, fantasy and historical radio for episode number 1449, entitled My Nimona. <laughs> <laughs> Our podcast is called The Pink Podther. I'm Rob Jan. And Megan McHugh, back on deck, finally. Welcome back, Megan. (laughs) Thank you. Very happy to be back. Wish I had more uh, to report in terms of quality content that I watched in my time away, but it was a lot of revisiting old favourites, so that's okay too. Well, I hope it was all quality. (laughs) It was all quality. It was all, I don't, we don't do trash here. Actually, we do do trash. It's like one of we do. We do. It's like one of those signs that you find outside people's homes. You know, where those sort of folksy ones where they say, "In this house, we do," you know, and they usually end up, "We do happy hour." (laughs) Well, on zero G, we do do trash, but we absolutely that we do do so well. (laughs) But no trash today, I think. Uh, You know, we so much to say. We've been talking about things like. Oh, the flash and mm-hmm. in, in Megan's absence. Um, yes. I would have loved to have talked to you about the flash. I know. I feel like um, I haven't yet gotten to see it, but maybe we can do a little blip in a future show of my thoughts once, once I get to it. I'm trying to remain a blank slate until I actually put my eyes on the thing. So we could just like run through it very quickly, like, you know, sort of at, at hyper speeds or something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'd be more than happy to, to do that. Whip on the costume and run it, run at it, take a run at it. But there's been so much on uh, Star Trek, Strange New Worlds, the Deadlock, yeah, Noir, Tasmanian yeah. Gothic show, which is so cool. Caught up with an episode of that, I think. I did. So I'd been hearing lots of good things from you and others. And I was like, all right, Tazzy, moody, small town murder, like these are all things that fall within my interest base. And, yeah, we popped on an episode. And I did, I thought the setting was done well. I think they've really nailed that crime energy, the small town crime, you know, detectives from out of town rolls in. And it's a bit tropey, but it's meant to be. Um, it's, it's totally gone tropo. It is so tropo. <laughs> And that's it. I could see it was a little unhinged. Like in the first episode, it's definitely goes all in on some of its jokes. And I think for me, I'm keen to watch more. I think the tone, I'm like, are we serious? Are we jokey? I want to, I need to see more of it to really hook my teeth in. So, but I love that this stuff is being made in Australia. I love its LGBTQI heavy component as well. There's a lot to be said for that in this particular aspect being able to change things on the tropes, you know, bring so many changes on it. I thought that was great. I found myself paying attention to the background characters a lot more than I usually do on something like, you know, something like Midsummer Murders or that kind of thing. I think having a really well-drawn cast of kooky town, town people, 
uh, is really key for that kind of thing. Like you want to have these strong personalities and these crazy folks popping up in the background. And I can tell it's really trying to pay attention to have that cast of characters happening in a very Australiana way. Well, not only is it really, really funny, far into the series, and I've seen a lot of the episodes, I'm still trying to figure out who the murderer is. For me, as a real you know, person who consumes a lot of this true crime, crime, mystery content, at the heart it has to have a good story around the core mystery. So I'm happy to hear that. At the moment I'm trying to narrow it down by the most crudest of instruments, which is to say not only my dull wit but also the the how who is the person who would be best suited to be the murderer given the tropes mm. in play yes <laughs> do you have like a big board rob with all the different kind you know red string and your theories based on how they've been presented i i, I stopped putting a murder board up on the wall since the incident so, what, what, <laughs> so it's, it's all in my head <laughs> exactly don't want that evidence laid out on the dining room table that's right so uh, one thing, and speaking of LGBTQI content, we watched a an animated movie on Netflix. I don't think we've done anything from Netflix for a while, actually. Yeah, no, we. this was kind of a real breath of fresh air, and it was one of your recommendations, Rob. Um, I, how did you stumble across this one? Well, I stumbled across it by looking at Richard Watts' Facebook page. <laughs> Our, our beloved arts commentator on Triple R. And I, I must admit, I do keep an eye on his page because he has a lot of good things to say and mm. a lot of interesting information. And this one popped up and I thought, you know what? It sounds like it's in Zero G's wheelhouse as well. So, yep. you know, I mean, yep. we've been watching a lot of great animated movies over the past, oh, well, all of Zero G's run, but I feel like there's been a, an increase in pace over the past decade. Yeah. So, you know, we've enjoyed The Book of Life, Encanto, Soul, Red Panda, uh, both mm-hmm. into and across the Spider-Verse movies, all of these movies we've talked about on Zero G. You know, animation is where it's at. Yeah, I agree. And I think sometimes it's nice to be able to tell stories in an animated form that really suit it as well. And I think Nimona is a great example of that. Uh, so it's 2023 animated fantasy adventure film, as you mentioned, available on Netflix. It's only been on there for like a couple of weeks. So this is hot off the presses. It's very much kid friendly. So this, I mean, for a certain age group, you could let kids watch it with you, but at the same time, it's quite funny and engaging. I certainly got a lot out of it and really enjoyed it. And it's directed by Nick Bruno and Troy Quain. So before this, both of them have had a long and storied uh, careers in animation and adjacent to animation. So they did co-direct Spies in Disguise, uh, a previous film. I haven't seen or heard of that one. Have you seen that one, Rob? No, but it is a pleasure to actually be able to talk about Bruno. (laughs) (laughs) You were waiting to drop that one. I saw the twinkle in your eye. Um, And so Bruno, aforementioned Bruno, uh, he did work as an animator on a range of very well-known animated films like the Ice Age films, Rio, Epic, and uh, Quain has worked as a storyboard artist for films like Hotel Transylvania, Arthur Christmas, Enchanted, and Nine. So they've both sort of been in and around this realm, and so this is their second feature that they've co-directed together. 
a screenplay by Robert L. Baird and Lloyd Taylor, but the whole concept and the Mona is all based on a graphic novel by Andy Stevenson, which came out in 2015. I wasn't familiar with the graphic novel at all. Has that crossed your part? No, nope. not you either. So this was actually just such a nice little surprise. I jumped in knowing almost nothing apart from the tidbits that you dropped for me, which is this is kind of set in a world, a kingdom that's both futuristic and medieval. Um, there's some great LGBTQI representation in this. It's fantasy and it's adventure, comedy. And so all of that was met and exceeded. This one uh, was produced by Annapurna Pictures and distributed around the world by Netflix. It did fall into a bit of development hell. So Annapurna has swooped in and saved this little film, the film that could. So it fell into development hell after Disney acquired the original studio that was working on the film Blue Sky and, you know, this, that, rumours, blah, 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 but it seems they had some issues with some of the queer themes in the film and so it kind of just hit a bit of a wall, couldn't keep going. And then, of course, eventually we did see another studio come in, bring it back to life, and they were able to really get their vision going and resulted in quite a lovely little finished film. They also got a composer that we've loved before, Christoph Beck, to work on the score. So he's worked on a couple of the Muppets movies, Frozen, the Ant-Man films, uh, the Hawkeye TV series, and Free Guy. And, of course, notably, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. <laughs> well, that sounds like a cute for a track there. Sounds good. Let's take a listen to some of Beck's score before we really kick into what Nimona is about. Well, I suppose there are two main characters in this story. One of them is Sir Ballister, uh, a, a knight in the realm in the story. This is the theme for Ballister. It's very much a, a thematically based score for, with motifs for each of the main players. This is Carly Chan, author of the Dark Heavens and Journey to Wudang trilogies, and you're listening to Zero G on 3RRFM. That was Ballister's Theme by Christoph Beck, and that is the little motif for one of our main characters in Nimona, which is a little animated action-adventure fantasy film on Netflix right now. So it is set in a futuristic medieval kingdom that's protected by a wall around it and also this kind of army of the Institute of Elite Knights who protect the citizens and their queen, and they're led by this strong female director as well. So this is a very noble pursuit, and it's usually kind of kept for people of a good uh, good standing. But then we now have the straight-laced and noble Ballister. So he is, quote-unquote, a commoner, but he has been allowed to be in line to be knighted because, you know, he's true of heart and strong of will and all of that good stuff. Um, and he's made his way into the ranks of knights and is about to be knighted um, in this big ceremony. Unfortunately, he has he has to go on the run after being framed for a crime he didn't commit and then further has his patience tested when a mysterious girl called Nimona appears on the scene to help him get revenge. I mean, clear his name. I mean, get revenge. Uh, And these two outsiders very quickly form a bit of an unlikely team of opposites. But Nimona has a few secrets of her own. And along the way, they'll expose some truth in old legends, form a friendship and win back hearts along the way. Uh, And so, as I mentioned before, it's scattered throughout. We've got knights, shape-shifting, betrayal, conspiracy, lasers, and (laughs) quote-unquote 
monsters. So, yes, lots going on in this one. That's Nimona. They had me at uh, Space Knights, really. You know? <laughs> yeah. Actually, there's a few things in this that rem- that's got some echoes of the Arthurian legends. There's a, a little mm-hmm. bit of a feel of that to it. So, you know, another thing to pull me into it. Uh, yeah. It's an amazing film. It may be a little film, but it takes big strides. I think for me, it's the the comedy is just pitched so well. It's just so light and fun. It's a little bit silly, but it's just a tone that you can really just sit down and let yourself sink into a bit. It's not trying too hard. It's not really trying to prove anything. It's just wants to tell a cool little story about some funny characters. It's even musically funny in one spot, and I won't spoil it by the needle drop that they do. But it, it's during a, a commercial for a sort of a breakfast cereal type thing. <laughs> and the, the piece of music that they played, I'm thinking, oh, my God, why did they play that? <laughs> and then I realised why they played that when I looked at the cast. Oh, oh yeah. So, you know, there's a musical little Easter egg hidden away in there. Not too much because once you know who is in the cast, you'll probably be able to guess what it is. But, you know, and we should look at the cast in this because the, the voice cast in this is excellent. Mm-mm, absolutely. Should we start with Nimona herself? Mm. So she's played by Chloe Grace Moritz. Uh, and, yeah, so she's kind of – she wants to be the sidekick to Ballister. And uh, we've seen Chloe in loads of stuff. What do you probably comes to mind for you most having, she's been acting for a long time. What springs to mind for you? Instantly. <laughs> and this would, there's two things that spring to mind. Uh, Desperate Housewives. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, and uh, also Kick-Ass. Yeah. Yeah. Solid. Solid. I definitely, I mean, it's hard for me to say because I've seen her in so much stuff, mm. but I do know she was in the remake of Let the Right One In called mm. Let Me In. Yep. I thought she was pretty great in that. And she's done a lot of non-genre stuff as well, but heaps of genre. She was also in the remake of Carrie. She played Carrie in that. And, yeah, heaps of um, action, anything you want, really. She was in Suspiria, the reboot, and... Um, well, she's, she's done a bit of voice work as well. Yeah, she's she's been a Wednesday Adams. She has, she has indeed, and lots of little cameos on TV, um, sitcoms, and things like that as well. Thirty Rock, American Dad, stuff like that. So she's she's been working and working hard for a long time, hmm. um, but not that long. She was born in nineteen ninety seven, so you know um, she's done a lot in her lot. in her short time. A lot of it's to do with horror too, which I thought was kind of. Interesting. Like in 2008, she was in the remake of The Eye. Yes, and she started out in the Amityville Horror as well. Mm. Oh, my gosh. So. <laughs> what a career. And she's fantastic. I think she does a really lovely job of voicing Nimona, just the right amount of vulnerability but silliness, and she's quite funny in many bits and really brings it to life, I thought. Yeah, there's a, a gauge that I sort of place alongside of – voice acting and and for me it's the way that it integrates with the animation you know like and I know it's it's all down to the craft they're sitting in their booth recording Mm -hmm. and the yeah 
if they're lucky, they'll have the animation playing at the same time. Yeah, it's roll tape, blah, blah, yeah. blah. Yeah. Well, they might not sometimes, you know, it depends on how, mm. what they're, uh, the they're, order of things. Yeah, the timing. But, you know, everything in this is like note perfect. She'll lift her eyebrow and you'll hear a voice echo that somehow, you know, a little yeah. inflection. I liked her in this. She's great in it. I agree. And there's, there's little funny um, bits that Namona kind of does where she goes into like, I guess I'd call it devil mode where she's just being, she's kind of being very silly in a dark way and animation reflects that. They give her like little devil eyes, but her voice really matches that too. So I totally agree. I think she must've had the visuals to go with her performance because she's done a very good job. Well, her face actually is captured quite perfectly in the animation yeah, I think it is one of those ones where we've got hints of the real, the voice cast in the design of the characters, or at least maybe I read into that. Who knows? But um, then we also have our... Our Ballister, yes. Our Ballister, Ballister Boldheart. So poor Ballister, yeah, kicked out, put upon, uh, you know, a curse upon his name, outcast in society. He's played by Riz Ahmed who I've seen in quite a few things before. Are you familiar with Riz Ahmed's work? I have seen him in a couple of things, but I'm not as familiar with him as I thought I was because I, I was looking for somebody else to begin with. And then I went, oh, no, that's not him, but I do know him. But yeah, Rogue, so- Rogue One is where I first saw him. Of course, yes, yes, Rogue One. Um, he was also in Venom. Um and he was in a movie called Nightcrawler, which I loved, um, with Jake Gyllenhaal, where Jake Gyllenhaal plays a cameraman who chases down tragedies to film them for the news and then get money for his footage. He was so good in that. It was something he was in early on. He was also in Four Lions quite early on in his career. And then I think kind of those he started to get cast in bigger things, uh, including Sound of Metal, which was one that he got a lot of uh, claim for, where he plays a drummer who goes deaf, I'm pretty sure, and so um, it's about how he copes with that and continues to play. So, yeah, he's been he's been in quite a few interesting things. The Sisters Brothers, which is like a cowboy adaptation of a comedy novel, uh, and he actually does one of the English voices for Weathering With You, the English dub. Oh, okay. <laughs> 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 um, but, yes, he does – I think he does a pretty good job. I mean, Ballast is pretty – straight-laced character, little bits of humour here and there. And I think, you know, there's there's only so much you can do with a character like that. But I think there was some nice chemistry genuinely between him and Nimona. Yeah, and it has to be because this is the, the core relationship in, in mm. the film. And it's not a romantic one. No. It's, it's actually amusingly couched as a kind of a hero sidekick. Yeah. Yeah. But as with Kick-Ass, it just doesn't work out that way most of the time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> They're despite their best efforts, despite their best efforts. Um, rest of the cast, we also have Eugene Lee Yang playing a character called Ambrosius Goldenloin, which I thought the names are so good. <laughs> um, so he's kind of the golden boy. He's another knight in the kingdom. He comes from the traditional kind of family who would go into being a knight and so – Public loves him. He's kind of a favourite and so on. But he actually does have a close relationship with Ballister. So it's a little bit about um, their relationship and how that's affected by the scandal where Ballister gets kicked out. And, yeah, I mean, and it's a queer relationship. So I feel like we might as we can just say that. And I think it's great that, that that's just the centrepiece of the film. It's just 
they're the love interests and it's about how they deal with this big thing that happens in their lives and, yeah, how do they come out the other end of that. And it's it's interesting, of course, we know that this will get this film banned in several different countries around the world just to start with. And, yeah, yeah. you know, that is what it is. And fire upon the people who can't see that it's basically just another romantic string in the in the arsenal of, of cinema language you know exactly exactly we also have Frances Conroy as the director oh. she leads the knights uh and Lorraine Toussaint plays Queen Valerian as well uh and we have a range of other knights and squires and things all in much smaller roles because we're really looking mainly for it's about that core relationship between Ballister and Nimona and them embarking on their quest to clear his name. But we do have a couple of other. Um, I will note oh. RuPaul is in this as well as Nate Knight. I don't know what character Nate Knight is, but RuPaul's in it as well. So it has the RuPaul stamp of approval, which I loved as well. It would have been nice if they'd had a dragon in the film because then it could have been RuPaul. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Enter with dragon, I was going to say. Love it. <laughs> um, yeah. Actually, I was just thinking of Frances Conroy from um, American Horror Story mm, 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 and mm. also The Mist. I don't know if you ever watched that, the television series. Yes. Yeah. That's right. They had another crack at it, didn't they? They, they did. did that series. Mm. Mm, mm, mm. Ah, yeah. So, you know, everybody is, I often say this sometimes, and, and you can gloss over it and you can take it for granted, but they're all where they need to be for this film. Agree. And everyone's doing just enough. No one's overdoing it. No one's underdoing it. I mean, maybe some are underdoing it, but you don't really notice. I think everyone is just enjoying having a nice time with this. Mm. Should we listen to another piece of score and then we'll go to our final thoughts on this little cute little film? Mm. Uh, let's listen to the theme for Nimona. So we'll go Nimona's theme. This is also from the score of Nimona by Christoph Beck. Hi, this is Corey McAbee from Stingray Sam and the American Astronaut, and you're listening to Zero G on 3RRR FM. He does the things that folks don't do that need to be done. Uh, Nimona's theme. So nice. Mm. From Christoph Beck from Nimona, the little animated film on Netflix that we're talking about here on Zero G today. Um, yeah, overall thoughts, Rob. How did this one sit? It sat very, very well. <laughs> it's funny. It's got some strong themes in it. Mm -hmm. I mean, really, um, I mean, I like the theme. Who, who would not? After It's all about being yourself, which is pretty much des designed to appeal to anyone who's ever been on the outer in regard to, well, anything, let alone being part of a subculture. And I, I use that term inadequately because I happen to think that there may actually be no such thing as mainstream culture. I just think that it's all made up of subcultures that interact in the glorious kaleidoscope of life you know it's, mm. it's madcap and there's a lot of the madcap mayhem in this film and yes. i love the setting the classic science fiction science fantasy like science yes. and fantasy with bolts on it uh, mm. you know, is it off world is it in another universe is it a far-flung space colony of earth that's forgotten that it's a colony does it really matter no yeah it's just who knows who cares <laughs> it's just there to give us a clean palette and so they've taken the tropes of, you know, knightly honour and chivalry and then contrasted it with the high technology. And, and I'm always up for that. It's a, it's a, a cliche, but I love it. <laughs> Absolutely. I think there's something to be said for the simplicity of it. Like, 
like you said, it's funny, it's sweet. I do think the themes and symbolism, they are straightforward and I think that's okay. Like that's fine. We've just got a really nice, strong, simple message at the core of this. I do think at the end sometimes I was like, oh, it's wrapped that up pretty nicely. Like I feel like we didn't properly see how the motivations of the the sentiment in the kingdom got fully shifted. But I mean, I'm coming at it thinking too much with my brain. Like (laughs) overall, I felt it took me on a really nice journey and yeah, it makes a few little glosses over some things for the sake of plot and story. And that is totally fine in my book. Uh, the animation was very fun to Ooh. watch, colourful, so fluid, such a lovely art style. Like a, like in a way very kind of simplistic and childlike, I guess. There's like a whimsical element with just very clear block shapes for each distinct character. Uh, but just the colour and the wave emotion and just the energy and the whole thing just made it really come to life. And I just, I just found it was when you're in a bit of a lower energy mood or you're just not sure what you want to watch, it's a nice little treat. It's, it's definitely something that's engaging and fun. On the animation, I thought that they, once again, and I've noticed this a lot lately, they managed to achieve an excellent sen- sense of weight. Yeah. To the characters yeah. and to items, for example, a sword on a table. Uh, some of that's mm. also down to the, I thought, really closely regarded sound effects, um, yeah. you know, like subtle scrapes and hollow resonances when the when the sword, and I'm on that topic, so I'll go with it, when it thumps down onto a surface or it's mm. slid out of its scabbard. And the highlights and shadows on the curved surface of Ballastar's armour, which suggests some kind of futuristic uh, power hammer forging marks, Little yeah. little hexagonal dimples, like they've been raised or, or planished, and and I, I just love that sort of stuff, you know. <laughs> Rob zoning in on the costuming yet again, <laughs> even though it's digital costuming. Um, digital costuming. Production yeah. designer um, Aidan Sagano was also using mm. um, the color pink in a, sub, a yes. subversive way, and it's essential because we need it to actually identify a character, shall we say, throughout the course yes. of the action. And that'll be obvious when you see the film. Uh, and I thought that was really, really cool. I love the, you know, there's a pink rhinoceros that I loved in this. <laughs> yeah. So amazing. It did make me feel like I wanted to watch the Dungeons and Dragons movie again. Cause yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. There's some similarities there, I guess, between that character and her style of powers and how she moves. Not personality so much. They're pretty different between that and the druid character in uh, Dungeons and Dragons played by Sophia Lillis, I believe. And, yeah, the shape-shifting and how they handled that. I was like, oh, I want to go back and watch Dungeons and Dragons and see that again because some good shape-shifting work is something to be admired. So it made me feel feel the itch to go back and watch that one. I still want an album of Chris Pine's Troubadour. Yeah, <laughs> stick in that. Film. Maybe one day. Maybe oh, and, one and bigger day. creatures in this too. As with Red Panda, suddenly we're in a kaiju movie, and I'm thinking, "Oh my god, yeah. this is so cool!" Yeah, that's <laughs> true. Actually, there's a little bit of similarity there between that and the the Turning Red film. Mm. Um, turning Pink in this case. Uh, yeah. No. So you know, and I, I just love the film. It, it's it, it gets a um, what will we say? Yay, verily from me. <laughs> In, yes, I agree. I loved it too. Yeah. It's called Numona and it is on Netflix at the moment. I love the fact that Netflix has actually kind of rescued this one. Yeah, me too. I mean, I think it's the, the combo between Netflix and Annapurna Pictures have kind of come in and, and revived this. So I'm glad they did, mm. I think. See, now there, there's a whole thing with Netflix. You know, I mean, they were kind of 
front runners in the whole streaming thing for a while and you know they were they were sort of benefiting from having deals with like disney and uh, other other station other studios mm. who were providing parts of their content uh, libraries under license and then of course now that they have all of those titans have their own streaming services and they pull back their content so netflix mm. really got to make its mark in these areas otherwise it's, yeah. it's got nothing no. Yeah, so it's made, it's both producing its own original stuff and getting distribution rights for other studios' bits and pieces. Mm. So I think they're good combo approach to try to get people onto the platform looking at things only they have to offer. So mm. more of this Nimona-type stuff, please. Um, yeah. Mm. All right, yeah. well, let's uh, have another track here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I wanted to play a track here you know riffing off the animation theme the merry-go-round of life from Howl's moving castle and Mm -hmm. this is particularly one um, an interpretation by yucca y-u-k-a and it's from the world of uh, miyazaki hayo and they're basically violin and piano pieces and it's just a nice interlude so if you're sitting out there and you've had a shitty day you know things are not going too well what better than to have an interlude with Studio Ghibli and, you know, watching one of those masterpieces of animation, which have that highest accolade in a way. You know, when you're watching a film, it's so good, you actually don't want it to end. A lot of Ghibli films are like that. This is Cecilia Dart Thornton, author of the Bitterbine Trilogy, and you're listening to Zero G on 3RRFM. And no, I can't get you Billy Bob's autograph. Oh, I'm really chilled out after that. The merry-go-round of life from Howl's Moving Castle, the world of Miyazaki Heo. All right, so we're moving on a little bit, not really sideways, but straight on into another little piece that's got a lot to do with animation. And <laughs> this is one, and I'll try and put up a link on our part of the Triple R webpage. Uh, but basically, if you can Google NHK 10 years with Hayao Miyazaki, you should be able mm-hmm. to find your way to NHK World Japan's website. Mm-hmm. And that's the uh, what's basically the International Service of Japan's Public Media Organization. And so, you know, basically it's... Uh, sort of television, radio, and online. So all of that has English language sections as well, all sorts Mm -hmm. of good things. And one of those good things is 10 years with Hayao Miyazaki. So this is um, a four-part doco, Mm -hmm. and it's directed and produced by Kaku Arakawa for NHK. And it came out in 2019, so I'm kind of late to this one. Uh, I actually did find this during the pandemic. Mm. And I kept putting it on the list of things to mention on the show, and I kept forgetting. And I thought, mm. actually, now is the perfect time to look at it. And thanks to the magic of streaming, we can go back and look at it if you want. <laughs> Four episodes, as I say, it is pretty much what it says on the tin. And it sort of goes back to the time of when Maestro Miyazaki was doing Ponyo and The Wind Rises. Uh, yep, and yep. As also at the same time, his son Goru was doing the adaptation of the Ursula K. Le Guin 
tales from the earth sea mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. also um the uh the movie from up on poppy hill mm-hmm. if you've seen mm-hmm. that one so you know so there's a whole lot of things in this to to look at uh, the four episodes, the first one covers uh, Ponyo is here. So this is basically the great artist uh, coming up with the ideas and plot lines for Ponyo. And mm-hmm. he's having a lot of trouble with it, actually, trying to get the characters in play and trying to get drama yeah. out of the story. Well, you know, you can see this for yourself by watching the documentary. They roll into the second episode. And so they've got Ponyo underway in uh, production. And mm-hmm. so Miyazaki's method, he's pulling back memories of his mother to try and, you know, inform the story. And also doing some charming things like driving around with a camera in his car to get those, <laughs> you know, and if you've seen Ponyo, which is the story of a, a little girl who uh, is basically living by the sea, as it says, and she's got all this kind of things going on with a, uh, a tsunami. So there's mm. an aquatic theme to this. And it's, it's, a, it's probably one of the more juvenile films of the yeah. studio, but it, nevertheless. It's, it's very Little Mermaid-esque. Yeah, good point, good point. Uh, and so he actually drives around in a car through the streets getting little sort of vignettes. And you can see how that informs the, uh, the later animation. Then, of course, he's working on um, from up on Poppy Hill. But at the time of this, there's a 2011 earthquake and nuclear disaster. Mm. So this is that 10 years Gosh, involved yeah. in there. And so later on, he's age 72 and he's making The Wind Rises. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's really the first film he did about a, an actual historical figure. And... There's lots of involved in that at 72 of him being an aging artist and, yes, you know, yeah. all those sorts of influences and things that are happening in there, as well as the fact that this is a, a kind of a controversial film, The Wind Rises, because it's about um, largely about uh, the designer of um, Japanese World War II fighter aircraft and so on. Mm. So there's some interesting stuff going on in that too. Uh, it's a good film, by the way. Mm. All right, so... You know, there's lots about his procedure, as I was saying before, his relationship with his filmmaking son, which is a troubled one at times. And I can imagine. And the, it would be hard growing up in the shadow of Hayao Miyazaki, yeah. especially if you want to pursue that yourself, the same career. Mm-hmm. They all come, you know, I mean, they, they, they come to terms with that sort of thing. But it's it's fairly raw in places. And I thought, yes, it's pretty, mm. pretty confrontational in ways. And you can see him changing his style from previous animation. So yeah. he's doing that thing of I'm not going to sit in my comfort zone. Uh, and he's doing stuff like I'm going to work with pastels. Not not the mm. not just the colours, but the actual the actual medium and see how yep. that changes his his style. Uh, it's just great to see all this stuff there. Some of this we've seen before in other documentaries, so there is some mm. footage from this about that. Uh, and, you know, this is a charming parts of his method, like as he's ending his film prep, he goes off and um, stays at a friend house by an inland sea for a week. You know, this is something he does quite often, and it's like, oh, that's just such a charming way to re-energise yourself. Mm. <laughs> so this is a very open part- portrait of an artist in some of his most difficult times, I thought. Yeah. So, you know, uh, he listens to classical music a lot. And I thought one of the things 
that was so charming at one stage he's 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 not always set up for the director of the documentary to come and chat with him you know and he says i want to stay grumpy today basically (laughs) (laughs) i like that some honesty in filmmaking yeah but talk about pushing yourself to the limit it's amazing 11 months until they get one single frame for ponyo (laughs) yeah i mean those animators as well working hard it would be very difficult line of work to make that kind of film Mm. to his credit whenever he gets kind of stuck creatively he goes off and seeks a second opinion i think that's Mm. a a great idea anyway this is the documentary that's on nhk japan and it's four episodes and you won't regret it if you watch it you may have seen Mm -hmm. some of this footage before on um, dvd commentary type featurettes and stuff on some of the uh, studio ghibli movies but you know this is all here in one place and uh, it's four episodes on NHK World Japan. And I will nice. give you a um, a link on the RRR website at mm-hmm. au. But basically you won't go for too far wrong if you're just trying to search for NHK World. Yeah. Nice. Hmm. So have you been watching anything and reading anything while you've been away from Zero G? <laughs> so, look, to be honest, a lot of old favourites. Um, I did finally finish Brooklyn Nine-Nine, which is something that's been on the list for a long time. Nine-Nine. Nine-Nine. <laughs> so that was pretty great, and I think they did wrap that up um, really nicely. And I think the changes they made in the last season to reflect kind of where the world was at at the time um, was done with just the right pitch, just the right tone, but still keeping it fun. So that was really nice to finish that. I had hanging left hanging two episodes of poker face and finally finished those and that series that has got to be one of the best seasons of tv i've seen in a long time Mm. i just um i loved poker face i think the second to last and last episodes were brilliant i think all of them were great but i think the quality just kept coming and stayed at a baseline standard and some episodes really stood out i hope they keep making the show i hope there's Seasons and seasons and seasons of this crime procedural. I really loved it. Do you think they should maybe break out a little bit more and um, and go off into other eras of television? Because it's it's so it feels very locked into the into the seventies and uh, into the eighties as well. I mean, I guess in the mood they're kind of trying to evoke that, but I do think the episodic kind of nature of it renewed for second season. Excellent. That's good to hear. I think they'd all be, I think Ryan Johnson was keen to do more and Natasha Leone is definitely keen to do more. I think the procedural nature of it and the fact it's episodic story arcs, I think they could go on and change it up or, you know, do whatever they wanted moving forward if, as long as they keep the core still stable. Um, I would just watch another season of, of her traveling the country doing lots of, you know, solving crimes in weird places and coming across a kooky cast of characters. I, I thought that was some of the best stuff I've watched. Well, of course, Ron Perlman is the casino owner in the first season. And um, we run into his rival who is oddly enough played by Rhea Perlman. No, no relation, but. I knew. So we only hear her voice mm. a couple of times and I recognized it immediately. I think I watched a lot of films that she was in in the nineties and it's just, bur- I knew it 
straight away I knew that was her. Yeah. Very keen to have her um, play more of a role in the next season too. So. so if you want to find out what happened to Carla from Cheers, obviously she became a, a mob boss. <laughs> exactly, casino mob boss. I love it. Good story arc for her. Um, and a kid. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she yeah, could be the god. god she could be the godmother. <laughs> She'd be good at it. She'd be good at it, yeah. Um and then I did uh see a couple of things I'm keen to check out but have not had a chance yet. So a couple of big ticket things that have crossed my path, of course, we have a new season of Black Mirror on Netflix. So Netflix did pick up and start making seasons of the show, starting with season five, which came out in 2016. Mixed reactions to that one, but they've had another crack at it. Charlie Brooker is back to show run this season and it's five episodes on Netflix for season six. And it includes the likes of Salma Hayek, Aaron Paul, Ben Barnes, Josh Hartnett, Michael Sarah, loads and loads of other familiar faces. And it does look like some really distinct set pieces, distinct storylines, interesting aesthetics. So I'm not too sure about that. I think the last really great season was season four, but um, I'm willing to give it a go. I'm always intrigued to see a, a good little technology is scary anthology series. Well, you should watch Silo. <laughs> oh, yeah. I thought, is that good? Uh, it's been described as... Um... Snowpiercer, a stationary snowpiercer. <laughs> I, I just, it looks, I don't know. I don't know how long they can stretch that. I was like, this looks like it could get boring quickly. I don't know. Like, maybe that's me being naive. Looks like about a thousand metres straight down they're stretching it. I don't know. <laughs> um, but the other one is Dead Ringers on Amazon Prime. Oh, so okay. they've done, yeah, a reboot or reimagining of the 1988 Cronenberg film, which originally starred Jeremy Irons playing a set of identical twins. So this Amazon Prime version has Rachel Weisz in a gender-swapped character playing twin gynecologists. It's a TV series as well, not a movie. So there's a bit of extra content, extra storyline, uh, and it's six episodes. So I think she is fantastic. And from the clips I've seen, she's amazing um, playing these twins. Uh, Dead Ringers has scarred me. The original film just <laughs> lives on in my memory, horror, re-horrifying me every time. So I'm a little hesitant, but I do think I'm very intrigued to see what they've done with this. And they've been bold enough to go in for a Cronenberg reimagining. So that takes balls. So I'm keen to see how it all panned out um, with that. And I've heard some good things about it. So that's another one on my radar. Cronenberg's off in the future at the moment aboard uh Federation headquarters in in uh, Star Trek Discovery. Oh, <laughs> yeah, he's actually playing a role in that. He's good in it. Yeah, yeah, I'm oh not. I'm not kidding. And speaking of Cronenberg, you know, he did uh, Rabbit back in 1977, and mm. the Soska sisters have who done. Met? Yeah, who we've met have done and survived. <laughs> yes, <laughs> Jen and Sylvia. Not many people can say that they've survived meeting the Twisted Twins, and uh, they did a remake of that. Oh. And it's quite good too, you know, which as nice. I would expect. Anyway, yeah, yeah. That, that is neither here nor there. Just happened to think about it. Um, but, yeah, so there's there's a couple of things I'm interested in checking out. I mean, there's tons on at the cinema right now and more to come with the Barbie Oppenheimer head-to-head coming up shortly. Wait a minute. Barbie Oppenheimer, now that sounds a bit like a, a career choice. <laughs> what sort of wardrobe does that come with? Is there a hazmat? Oh, I would love to see the Barbie wardrobe with the Nolan cinematography, uh, but 
Yeah, loads of stuff. Indiana Jones, Dial of Destiny. Uh, you know the Barbie movie is another multiverse one, basically. I'm I'm so keen for Barbie. I'm so keen for Oppenheimer. I went and saw Inception again to celebrate, you know, the Nolan retrospectives that everyone's doing, and it held up. Mm. Uh, and that, I'm ready. That classic moment, and we're all sitting in the cinema. Well, I was. <laughs> 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 um, with the spinning top saying, "Yep, end the film there. That's the end. I know. End it there. End it I there. Know. Fade to black. <laughs> All right. Well, that's about it for Zero G for today. We'll no doubt be delving into these things in future. I mean, who doesn't want to man up and basically get really depressed by watching Silo or Black Mirror? <laughs> oh, my God. I know. It's just going to be like a sad state of affairs, but that's okay. And also even Oppenheimer, I think, is going to be just a bit of a bummer too. Um, we have at least survived that, that technological advancement so far. So well. far. <laughs> All right. Uh, that's enough of bleakness for today on Zero G. Joe Brunatic is coming up next with Astral Glamour. We're going to go out with a Bowie track. Uh, I felt a bit under pressure. <laughs> today but here's another odd couple david bowie and annie lennox tributing freddie mercury and bowie's team up on the same song and this is basically two of the greats thank you megan thank you rob g'day this is rob jan thanks for listening to the podcast of triple r zero g a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy, and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website.